This interview was done in the studios of Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Community Radio relies on its listeners for funding. If you enjoyed this program and would like to hear more programs like it, please donate by going to 2XXFM.org.au, click Support 2XX, and then donate, subscribe, volunteer, or sponsor us. Thanks. G'day, uh... You're on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM. Welcome to Behind the Lines and welcome to Stefan Jenner from the TELUS Institute in Western Australia. How are you going, Stefan? Great. Thank you very much. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, yeah, you guys are a sort of special mob who do holacracy, is that right? Yeah, yeah. We're um, the holacracy licensee for the Australia Asia region and have been for about four or five years now. Yeah, right. So uh, tell us a bit about Holacracy. I I haven't known about it. It's a very strange um, idea and concept, but uh, basically Holacracy is a new way of um, running organisations around the idea of distributed authority and creating um, uh, teal organisations, or organisations that can basically divorce themselves from the... um, the, the tyranny of uh, people and allow them to grow up and allow the power to be distributed in a way that is not uh, dictated by a dictator but back through process. Yeah, right, right, okay. Um, where did it emerge from? You, you called it a teal. That's not a bird, that's a colour, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. So I use the word teal. There's a, a great book called Reinvent, Reinventing Organisations that talks about organisations and, and their need to change into self-organising organisations. Um, and to teal is, is a, a thing that a lot of people sort of understand in that sort of space. Um, but the idea of holacracy itself came from a guy called Brian Robertson. Um, it was uh, not invented in a, in a university or anything. It was developed in, a, in real organisations. And it came from the idea that he wanted an organisation that was flat, uh, that was open, that was sort of a flat structure, it didn't have any bosses, etc. Um, after a little while, a bit of experimenting, he realised that wasn't actually possible, but he came up with the idea of holacracy, uh, uh, which is around two parts. Uh, one is that there is a constitution or a set of rules. So in my view, and when I came across it for the first time ever, was here is an actual very, very concise 31-page constitution that tells you how power gets distributed in an organisation, how an organisation works. And then the other side of it is it's a practice. So just like a, a game of football, you know, you've got a set of rules, but you've also got the practice. Um, and that's what I think makes it quite unique. Yeah, yeah. All right. We're getting a bit of a fuzzy line through, but we'll, we'll keep going for a little while. I may have to call you back. Um so, yeah, yeah, you mentioned the reinventing organisation mob. Are there any other uh, precedents for this, this thing? Um, yeah, look, Holacracy itself got born out of a whole bunch of different things. Um, the original company that Brian started was a software development company and they used a, uh, a new way of um, creating software called Agile or Agile Method. Um, and so Holacracy has borrowed certain things from Agile software development uh, around um, sprints and around that of working. Uh, it's also borrowed some um, ideas from a system called sociocracy, which is around uh, how communities could organise themselves, um, as well as uh, grabbing a lot of information uh, around um, how individuals organise using um, something called 
getting things done by yeah, okay. What I'm going to have to do, Stefan, I'm sorry, is to uh, just play a bit of music and call you back. That line is getting pretty, pretty terrible. Uh, so I'll talk to you in a second. Okay, Stefan, are you there? Yes, I am. Excellent. That is very, very good, and that sounds a little better. Okay, so we just uh, had a bit of a crackly yarn about the precedence. Um, so, so is this actually a new way of getting things done, or uh, or is it just more of a tweak on what's already being done? Mm, look, I think it fundamentally changes the way um, things happen in an organisation. Um, we don't normally say that as we start to implement it in an organisation because massive change is always scary, but really the underlying principles around holacracy really do completely shake up the way decisions are made and the way an organisation organises itself. Um, one of the ten- tenets is, is instead of organising around the people, <clears throat> as in traditional bureaucracies, we organise around the work. And what starts to evolve as you start to implement holacracy is that the organisation will actually change and sometimes change significantly. But that change is not as painful because it happens as we determine this is how work gets done, how does the company digest that work, um, who's responsible, what are the roles responsible, um, etc. So we are talking a fundamental change or a paradigm shift in the way that organisations are set up and run, um, but through a, an evolutionary process that allows an organisation to actually start to evolve properly. Yeah, right. And, and how fast is it spreading, say, uh, internationally? Um, look, it's, um, it, it's kind of... Uh, it's, yeah, expanding quite well. I mean, Australia has been a little bit slow, um, but uh, Europe has really embraced this in a sort of major way. Uh, some fairly large companies in America, of course, which is where it started, um, all the way into Canada, and we're starting to see a lot happening in Dubai now as well, um, as well as uh, some um, inroads into China. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, and in Australia, as you say, it's been pretty slow. What have we, what have we got going here? Okay, so um, it's been a few decent implementations. Of course, I started, uh, I'm based in Perth, so I started working in the Perth market. Um, we've done a few IT companies. Um, the largest com- company in Australia is a company called The Present Group, uh, which was uh, about 250 people spread throughout Australia and into the Philippines and now Singapore. Um, <clears throat> and they basically started uh, looking at it. It takes a few years for people to really sort of come on board. Um, <clears throat> there are some other small pockets happening um, and some very much interest, especially those people who are interested in this idea of making organisations, self-organising organisations. Um, currently, we're working on an implementation with Schneider Electric, but that's out of Singapore. Um, and in discussions with um, some uh, health areas, I can't tell you the names of course, but um, some fairly significant size health areas that are looking at um, totally transforming the way that they work and do business. Yeah, right. So do you, I mean, that's really interesting. It's a completely fundamental change, and you, you say that it, it can it can change the way that businesses operate sort of in a fundamental way. How yes. how does that sort of translate in, in the in the okay. ones that have already gone ahead? Okay, so one of the things we found um, a couple of stories that sort of come out of it is that um, one of the organisations I went to, what they'd just done is they'd basically removed their entire middle management, 
Um, and, um, of course, after they did that, they went, well, we still need to operate. So that was when they brought us in to do um, holacracy implementation. And fairly quickly, uh, we found that the people on the floor, the people <coughs> dealing with the customers or dealing at the grassroots, were in a position to be able to make decisions. They just needed the clarity about what decisions they were allowed to make. And that's what Holacracy does. I guess if I could sum up Holacracy in one major word of what it brings to an organisation is clarity, um, absolute clarity. So I don't know if you've seen in organisations, but I know that when I've worked in um, fairly large organisations especially, you don't always know who you've got to talk to or who's got the authority to do things, etc. You've got what we call implicit indications about, okay, well, I know this person sort of works in that area, so I can expect this to from them. And, of course, that person is looking at their job saying, no, I don't really think that's part of my job. And half the time gets wasted in terms of you negotiating whether this person's going to do it. And then also around the authority, around whether you have the authority to ask them. So quite often you're using your own influence with them, friendship, fear, whatever, to actually get work done. Whereas mm-hmm. in Holacracy, we spell out exactly what is accountable. And that accountability actually evolves through the meetings. Um, not just sitting there written on a position description form, but it's a living, um, changing thing that happens on a regular basis so that you can turn around and say, if you expect a role to do some work, you can go to a governance meeting and put that expectation onto that role. And then through the process, as long as it doesn't cause harm to the organisation or make it go backwards, that role will then have a clear clarity around, this is something we expect from them. Yeah. And also, okay. All right, well, we'll pop on to the nuts and bolts of how it actually works later, but we'll still try keeping on digging to try and sort of figure out exactly what it is because I realise that this sort of thing can be a bit difficult to get across. Have, have you found that it's, it's difficult to just talk about it and get people to understand what it really is without actually uh, experiencing it? it you've, you've hit uh, the nail on the head there. Um, Holacracy is something that needs to be experienced. You can look at it, you can read about it, you can uh, hear stories from people, etc. But it's something you need to experience. The way we do, um, uh, if you want to introduce Holacracy, is the very first thing we do um, if someone is interested is go and actually run um, what we call an introductory session where they actually experience the meetings. The main way to see Holacracy operating is through the two core meeting structures. One's called a tactical meeting, the other one's a governance meeting. Um, when you're trying to explain these sort of radical concepts, you've got to be careful that it's not explaining too radically. I mean, in the end, it is just basically we sit down and we have a very, very effective meeting which has really, really defined outcomes. Um, and that's where we really win. Um, people, you know, you, you spend hours in meetings and just talk around points, etc. Um, our tactical meetings um, are to the point. They usually last, they don't go any longer than 30 minutes. And at the end of it, everybody knows exactly what the actions and projects that um, each people is expected to do. Um, and that's where we bring that in to begin with. And people go, oh, my God, that is just so cool. And that's the, the effect that we get most of the time. The Schneider Electric people, that's where we're at at the moment. We've brought the tactical meetings in and they're all going, oh, my God, we, we, we actually like to come to this meeting. Can you imagine that? People are actually wanting to come to a meeting. Um, because they know it's going to be over within a certain time and they know they're going to get their thoughts and issues and we call them tensions heard and some real progress on how to resolve those tensions. 
Yeah, right, right. Well, that's sounding like an improvement, but what's an improvement on? I mean, um, it's a response, I guess, to to the status quo. But what is the status quo? What do we have when we when we walk into a, a business today? What, what can you sort of expect to experience? So, what I see in a lot of organisations is just confusion, um, uh, which is really strange, and um, and that was sort of a, a bit of a shock to me, especially at some of the larger organisations. Is people really don't know what they're supposed to be doing, or they just make it up. So you know, you talk about there's a formal um, structure, formal organisational structure, and that's the one that we sort of have been put upon it, and that said that there's a way that we think it should be operating. But we all talk about the informal structure, the the, the, the connections that people have to actually try and get their job done, um, and that confusion causes waste. Um, huge amounts of waste in most organisations that I've, I've gone and looked into. Um, and those wastes uh, then, of course, affect not only the bottom line, but also the happiness and engagement of employees. Um, you know, this Patrick Lucioni talks about the three signs of a miserable job, and a lot of them are around the idea that they don't know what where they fit and what they should be doing. Um, and so we find that holacracy, even though it's not really orientated around culture and people, how the organisation is structured, is through that clarity we get an organisation that can start to really streamline itself and can start to see some real advantages in terms of employee engagement, but also on the bottom line as well. Um, so, I mean, most people, when we come in and, and, and talk to the people, is, you know, we ask them what do they do, or we get their position descriptions, and I've learned now from experiences, I basically throw the position descriptions away and actually sit down and say, what do you actually do? What actual work do you do? And then we go from there. Mm. Um, and that, that I think, is the main thing I find in current spaces that we work with, in organisations we work with, is, you know, people are just running around like headless chooks most of the time um, and doing the best they can. And through that, we seem to have organisations at work. Yeah. Um, but, but I don't think it's the right way to work. And I think a lot of people are finding now especially as, you know, technology and information is becoming much more rapid, change is happening much more rapidly, that organisations and the current bureaucratic way that we run is just starting to not work. Yeah, well, I have worked in one place where everything was really quite reasonably well-defined and they were, they were running the electricity grid at the time. <laughs> so they sort of had to work, I guess. They had to be functional. But it involved a massive amount of paperwork and sitting around waiting and all sorts of things. Is that involved in holacracy? No. Um, <clears throat> we try and streamline that. One of the things that people do start, um, uh, is they say, well, holacracy is all these meetings because we have these weekly tactical meetings and monthly governance meetings. And, you know, But what we've done is, is streamline. Those meetings are actually um, ruthlessly strict in terms of the process that they are. And through that strictness, through that um, uh, discipline, in the meeting, there's a space that people can turn up gen and, um, authentically and actually bring up stuff. So that's the other thing we find when we bring holacracy in is a lot of those underlying issues that nobody's ever touched because there's too much emotion or too much um, you know baggage around them. They get dealt with uh, fairly quickly um, and not always painlessly, but they actually get brought up because the meetings allow for that space to be brought up. The other thing that we find is that um, the 
the, the amount of paperwork and structure around organisations is because there's not clear communication. There is not clarity around exactly what are the accountabilities and purpose. And also because those documents are actually get quite stale, that they people um, have to cont- continually go back and just add to them and, 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 and change them. Whereas within Holacracy, through the governance uh, meetings, the actual changes happen um, on the fly um, and are broadcast out through different methods. And, and Holacracy itself uses a product called Glassfrog. It is not Holacracy. It's just a product for capturing um, the employee uh, employment records or the, the governance records. Um, but it provides a, a, a central place that people sit there and actually look at. Um, and, I mean, when you worked in that organisation, um, how often did you look at your position description? <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a rare <laughs> thing and not a very useful <laughs> thing to do, is it? <laughs> so um, you, yeah, mentioned, yeah, sorry. Yeah, you mentioned before about um, some of the reasons that, that people would, would do things in relating to one another, and I guess it comes down to authority and you mentioned fear, and, and what, what are some of the other different types of authority that we can have over each other in, in your more traditional workplace and in society in general, I guess? Well, there's a fantastic quote by the guy called um, uh, David Allen who has, uh, came up with the idea of getting things done. And his, um, his particular organisation had a culture of um, love and respect. Um, very, very, it was a great place to work. Um, everybody loved and respected each other. But when he brought it, so he brought a holacracy into his organisation because as a, as a person, he didn't want to be the, the CEO. Um, he enjoyed the, the concepts and coming up with creativity side of it, but didn't want to actually run the business. And he brought in some CEOs in the past and it was just a failure. So he needed something that allowed him to let the organisation grow up without him. And when he saw holacracy and what it was starting to do in his organisation, he came up with a famous quote, and that was that, it is an abuse of love and respect to use love and respect to get work done. And that's what they were realising that they were doing in the past, that they were using the culture's um, respect and, and love to, not coerce, but, you know, use that to rely on that to get people to actually do their job. Um, so that's one authority, and, it, and, and I mean, it's a positive authority, but it's still an abuse of, of, of that um, sort of relationship, okay? Of course, we've got fear. Um, which we see in a lot of organisations, you know, fear of losing a job, uh, fear of the boss, etc. Um, and we're starting to see lots of organisations grow up and realise that that's just not the way to work. Um, as the organi- uh, people change, you know, we look at Valve and people like that where they really have tried to broad- bring in systems that, that work on the fact of a mutual um, purpose um, and, 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 you know, a respect for what we're trying to do. But the problem with that is, again, it's still relying on that love and respect um, rather than uh, a defined sort of thing saying this is the way the organisation makes its decisions. The authority is actually invested into a process and then the process distributes the authority and then you are given specifically within a role you have a purpose and you can make any decision that take on any action or project that you deem necessary to achieve your purpose. Um, so it's a total shift around, you know, how that authority works. Yeah. Um, I- yeah, that's interesting. And um, it, it is a total shift. And I guess one of the things I was thinking about um, the the traditional um, 
traditional system and why it's still there is that there's another sort of authority which is almost invisible. I guess it's that one of sort of duty or tradition or habit. Huh? <laughs> yes, 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 and that's what we... Um, I wouldn't say the word fight against, but that's, um, that is definitely one of the things that you need to... Um, and it, and it is around, you know, tradition um, and um, sort of inherent, um, you know, we've brought up in, in schools that use bureaucratic systems. We've been brought up in a society that works on bureaucratic systems. But I'm starting to see, I mean, it was always in the fringe before, but I'm now seeing it in the mainstream, that people are turning around saying, waking up, you know, the new generation of people coming through are saying, well, I don't need to live by those traditions anymore. Um, there's got to be a better way. Um, I'm not saying holacracy is the silver bullet because it is not, but it is just it is a much more clear and clarity uh, has much more clarity around this is what we've decided that we're going to invest in and this is how we're going to get things working. Um, and again, I love the word habit. Um, I, know, I love, I love uh, Charles Duhigg's book, um, The Power of Habit, and bringing holacracy into an organisation is about changing habits changing the way people think and one of the most powerful ways that people do that is of course through language um, and introducing new lexicons into an organisation um, and that's how you can start to break that habit. Yeah, nice, nice. I mean, yeah, these are some pretty fundamental things. Um, how come, I mean, a lot of things or I guess the ideas that address all of these really fundamental things tend to have come out of the IT industry as you have. <laughs> what, what do you reckon's going on there? Um, I think, well, you think about it, we're, we've sort of been on a bit of the lead of the rapid changing, um, you know, sort of ways of working. Uh, I guess where um, the IT industry has been responsible for uh, some of the really huge changes in the in the world around the internet and um, uh, the information, you know, uh, accessibility and all of those sort of things. And we've had to keep up to uh, the, the IT industry, I think, is one of the ones that changes probably one of the most rapidly changing industries, um, IT technology. Um, and from that, we're finding that um, the way we've traditionally built things and project managed things, and, and you think about an organisation as just a massive project management, just a much longer term, has, has had to change. Um, you know, people are demanding changes much quickly. Um, you look at companies like Google and, and Facebook and and, um, you know, Microsoft, and they've had to fundamentally change the way they design and develop things. Now, that means that, and that's come through this agile um, software development is probably one of the leaders in there at Scrum. Um, and these are shifting the way that um, people do their work within project teams. And then what's happening is that they're butting up against traditional management module, module, uh, models. And, um, and then you're starting to get more efficiencies, and yet these teams have to start producing more and more quicker and quicker with less and less. Um, so they need to change that. And and one of the reasons I'm working with Schneider Electric is purely around that. They've started a new organisation internally in their, in their company. It has the uh, thing that it's got to produce three new products every 30, um, every 90 days, sorry. So every quarter it has to develop three new products. Um, they're using the agile software development technology but they realised that their traditional management uh, model wouldn't um, support that part of the um, organisation. 
And so that's why they've brought Holacracy in, to allow the organisation to change rapidly. And that's why I think IT has been a, a sort of a, a, um, a leader in this particular area. Mm. Um, is because of the rapid change and the and the requirement, therefore, that we need to change the way we think about how the organisation is organised. Mm, yeah, well, that makes good sense. I'd often wondered about that one. Um, so I guess back to sort of authority and power and how we relate. I mean, what about uh, what about empathy? What's the role that empathy sort of plays in, in our relationships at work? Okay. Um, yeah, look, um, the... That part of one of the, so one of the things I get in trouble um, saying this is is holacracy doesn't really care about um, that part of the organisation. Holacracy is really around the organisation structure, but what it does do, and what we found is it allows the I think of it as um, the tribal space, the place where people have relationships, um, where the culture develops in the organisation, is it allows it to grow up much more authentically. Um, it allows conversations to be much more authentic. And when I say that, I mean that when you are requesting work from each other, it is around clear clarity around these are the accountabilities, etc. which means that people can actually um, stop relying on their relationships um, and allow them to use the holacracy system to, for the work side of things because we all believe, we all understand that work is where we spend a lot of our time, etc. So you do need to take account of that the, the tribe needs to exist and we need to create that sort of um, uh, place where people can connect authentically um, while they're getting their work done. Um, the thing that we do find is when people first look at it, you're saying, well, you're not caring about my opinion, but it's the reverse. The meetings are structured in that we are caring about the person who has the tension or issue at the moment, right? Uh, and it's, it's wholly focused on them and getting their tension sorted out. And then if you want to bring your tension, you can bring it up and have it dealt with when you're when when that person's tension's been dealt with. Okay. So what we find in this idea of collaborative in, in most traditional organizations, collaborative is really just whoever's got the loudest voice. Um, and rather than what and one of the fundamental changes that we saw that happened at present group is they were working with a Philippine um, uh, back office team, and they were always complaining that they never got enough input from the um, from that team. Uh, when we brought Holacracy in, the meetings have spaces where they talk, and and they are required to to give opinions or, or have a space to talk. And within a few meetings, suddenly we were getting really fantastic, valuable stuff coming out of the Philippines office because uh, in their traditional structure, you know, the boss talks and you never say anything. In the holacracy structure, there are spaces where you are required to talk. Um, you are required to uh, update people or give your opinion or, or put up stuff. And what we started to find is they started to bring in stuff and it was really valuable um, that the organisation wasn't tapping into in the past. Mm, well, let's let's get into it a bit. And You mentioned tension a few times there. Um, what, what's a tension? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, holacracy has some fairly... Um, uh, strong words that are associated with it or words that we sort of start to work with. And tension's one of the classic ones. Um, tensions are um, uh, basically it's a, a gap uh, between where we are and where we should be. Um, so they're not necessarily negative things, but we basically, uh, one of the ideas is we really want people to start to feel again, um, to have a space where 
know, in a traditional um, organisation, we talk about open door um, policies. You know, as a boss, I've always wanted to have an open door policy, allow anybody to come into my office and bring anything so we can work on it and, and get stuff sorted. But in typical um, organisations, you don't have enough time or space to be able to deal with that. So what you quite often do is you'll um, listen to somebody and then you go and test it with other people. And if it's if it's only that one voice, then you would ignore it. Um, what we want people to do is actually have a place to process these tensions or these issues. So tensions to us is, is just a gap between where we are and where we should be. And, and that could be a negative gap or a positive gap. Um, in that, oh, there's an opportunity here. I have attention. There's an opportunity we could be taking on. Okay, well, then let's go and get processed. Yeah. Um, so how, how do they show up normally in, in this meeting? They, they sort of just tiny little things like, I don't know, he stole my eraser or like great big <laughs> things like the boss is only hassling the hell out of me or what you do you... You know, um, most, of them, most of them aren't around those sort of negative stuff. Um, there's sometimes, you know, when you first start it, yes, there are a few of those that you've got to get um, sorted out. Um, but they basically show up as, um, you know, we start to get people to understand what their roles are. So the tensions come from the roles that they do. And we talk about roles as um, defined packages of work, if you want to think about each role has a purpose, has um, a domain or um, property rights or things that they, they would have um, custodianship over, um, and their accountabilities, what they're, what is expected of that role from other roles. Um, so a lot of tensions come from that. You know, I'm trying to get this piece of work done. Um, I don't know how to get it done, or I don't know who's got the authority to make this decision. Um Let's get that process. Through a tactical meeting, it may be, well, does anybody have no, yep, I have a role and my accountability is X. I can, I can help you with that. I can take that piece of work on. Or um, no, there is nobody who has no role that has the authority or the, the accountability for that. Well, let's take it to governance and actually create um, either a role to do it or add an accountability to a role. Um, <laughs> now, okay. uh, we'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to those, uh, all those words later, but what, what defines attention? Okay, so basically, as I said, attention is just a gap between what could be and, and where we are now and where, where we should be. So, you know, typical tensions that we'll have is um, I've just had a customer contact me and um, they want a quote for X, Y, and Z and I need someone to help me put the quote together, okay? Or um, they are, um, I've tried to get this piece of work done um, and nobody's helping me with it. Or I've requested such and such to do some work, and um, it hasn't get done got done yet. Okay, and the and the meeting is basically around. Well, then, what do we need? What is the next action here? Um, I don't want to get into all of the, the things around resourcing, etc. But it does have parts of that around priorities, etc. But each role we see as um, you know they get to decide where they should be spending their time based on the purpose that they're trying to achieve. Yeah, right. So the, the tension. What, what what's not attention? Maybe uh, maybe that's another way to frame it. <laughs> um, it, it. It's really hard to sort of um, what's not attention. Okay, so I'm going to talk about what we call as our Maslow's law attention processing. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't go too far. Okay, so um, the first thing when you feel attention. As a, as a role filler in bureaucracy, the first question you ask yourself is, does my role fill that tension? So in terms of the role that I'm filling, um, you know, in terms of my purpose and accountability, et cetera, do I, does my role fill that tension? If it does, 
in terms of me trying to get my bit of work done, then that's definitely something you would bring up at a, at a meeting or take to a particular um, other role, okay? The next level up is um, does my, and I'm going to use the word circle, and I'm sorry, but um, does my team or circle uh, feel that role, uh, feel that tension? Because my role doesn't, but does my team feel it? Um, if my team feels that tension, then maybe I'm still something I'd bring up, but is there another role within the team that should probably be handling it? In which case, I would give it to that, that team member and say, here, this is what I think, and then just let go because it's not really part of your role and somebody else can handle it. Hmm. Next level up is does my, if my role doesn't feel a bit, feel it, my team doesn't feel it, um, does my organisation feel that tension? You know, is it is it valid for my organisation? Um, if it is, then it's really not probably within your um, purview to bring it up. But you could find another uh, person who's filling a role in the in the circle in the organisation that might, and you give it off to them and let them deal with it. Okay, <laughs> and then and then the last thing is, um, and, I, and I don't want to be uh, facetious, but if my role doesn't feel about it, my team doesn't feel it, but my organisation feels uh, doesn't feel it, but I feel it still. Is it to do with you personally? Then it's something you need to personally decide um, how you're going to deal with it, okay? Because it's really not part of the organisation. Then we start to go into the realms of is there a misalignment between you and your organisation or is it just something personal that you need to deal with, etc.? Um, you know, there's um, great uh, avenues and most big organisations have avenues for people to deal with that, but it's really not part of the organisation. I hope that sort of helps clear up what attention is. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Well, let's attack it from the the other end, from the big end. Um, you, you mentioned the the purpose of a uh, of a company, company purpose. Yeah, uh, that's that's obviously quite important. Now, um, many companies sort of only appear. I mean, they might have a, a a paper purpose where they they write some lovely stuff in a little policy document, but then their their major purpose, like Adani, seems to be to just make money at whatever cost might be. Um, yep. how, how, okay. <laughs> how do you deal with that tension in, in an organisation that's transforming? I mean, you've got that, that, that habit and culture of making money and then I guess your paper purpose, which is what you'd like to be doing. Okay, so um, purpose in our definition of holacracy is really not something that is um, put on the organisation. It's something that's uncovered. Okay. Of course, when you start with holacracy, you've got your paper purpose um, down, um, but we quite often find that eventually that changes quite significantly. Purpose for us is something that's, that's uncovered in an organisation, and there's a lot of lot of um, research in this area, and um, it's becoming um, much more uh, mainstream uh, around the idea of purpose rather than values and missions and visions and all that sort of stuff. But the purpose is what is required of the organisation, by its um, uh, ecosystem. Um, so purpose isn't just the shareholders. Um, the shareholders um, making money we see in Holacracy is an outcome of achieving your purpose. Your purpose is what does your customers want from you? What does your suppliers want from you? What does your employees um, require of you? Uh, what does the government require of you? All of those things impact on what is the purpose of that organisation? What is it here to actually achieve and do? Um, now, these are pretty lofty ideas, but in the end, the purpose is what drives an organisation, and that's the whole underlying thing of Holacracy is around helping organisations achieve their purpose. But the flip side of it is that 
as part of that is understanding what your purpose is. Um, quite often, an organisation will actually eventually create a specific role like identity discovery, which is there to actually help every now and then look at are we are we achieving our purpose and do we know what our purpose is? Okay. Um, so as an organisation matures in holacracy, it starts to mature in the idea of the purpose is really what the organisation is, what's being requested of the organisation by its customers, by its suppliers, by its shareholders, by the ecosystem, by the community, uh, social responsibility, all of that sort of stuff. So it's almost um, a conscious way of, of evolving into a mission-based organisation, I guess. Yeah, conscious capitalism um, does love the idea of holacracy in terms of it does allow organisations to become conscious cap- um, organisations. I mean, holacracy does not create a conscious organisation. Um, the organisation does that itself, but it gives you the framework to allow you to do that, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you, you've got your purpose. How do you, you organise under your purpose? Okay, so your purpose... Um, basically, holacracy uses a whole idea of almost like cells. Um, so we talk a lot about circles, um, and that gets all people all up and arms. But holacracy <laughs> is really—it's still—it's still a hierarchy, okay? And um, you know, people should be be uh, staggered by me saying that it's not a flat structure. It's just a hierarchy of roles, um, and those roles are packages of of of, um, of work that needs to happen. So. Holacracy itself has the overall organisation has a purpose. Um, we then set up what we call um, the core circle. Uh, within that circle, we start to differentiate that purpose um, into different roles. Um, each role has its own purpose. As, it, as I said before, it has a domain, which is um, uh, basically property rights um, and accountability expectations um, from other roles um, of work that it wants to do. Um, the, those things, and then the authority comes that you can take on any action um, or project that will allow you to achieve your purpose, and you have to take on any action or project that comes under your accountability that's being requested by another role. Okay, and then what starts to happen is, is of course you've got the initial circle. Um, a role becomes quite uh, complex, um, so you might have a in a very small startup, you might have a HR role is responsible for creating, you know, hiring and firing and all of that sort of stuff. But eventually, um, as your, your number of staff grows and your complexity of your organisation grows, the HR role grows in complexity. And so what happens is that that role then becomes its own sub-circle. It, it turns up in the, in the super circle as the HR role, but internally it then starts to differentiate itself down into multiple roles within the HR circle. And they have their own meetings. Um, uh, but they are connected to the circle um, in something that's a little bit, and we're getting really technical here, called double linking, where there's a, a lead link put onto it by the, the the super circle, but a rep link who is elected and represents the um, the circle and the work it's trying to do. Hmm. So roles. What I mean. I mean, we're always filling roles, I suppose, in in, in traditional structures, but. Yep. We may not really necessarily know what they are, which comes back to your clarity yeah. thing. That's it. That's it. Now you're starting to get it. That's, that's what we come down to. We actually have real understandings of the roles. Now, any one person will fill multiple roles in a holacracy organisation. So in, in one organisation, um, uh, the, the, one of the companies that I own, um, I still fill 15 roles in that organisation. 
Um, <laughs> they're all defined, etc. And yes, you have to be um, quite good at um, changing your hat and understanding which role. So that's where the language starts to come in. And so I turn around to people. There's a, there's a role in one of the organisations called CSI, uh, which is Crazy Stefan Ideas. I'm being a bit <laughs> of an entrepreneur, right? And and that role has the purpose of coming up with um, ideas that can help the organisation create new products. Um, it has specific accountabilities on it about how I can actually work with other roles in terms of developing those. Um, and, um, and and I know when I'm in my CSI role, I need to talk to people and I say, as as uh, as CSI, um, I'd like you to look into this particular product for me or this particular idea, okay, so people understand the roles that I'm talking to. The other thing that we're trying to do is divorce. We talk about divorcing role from soul. Um, you are not your role. You are there to, um, you're custodian of it, you're steward of that role. Uh, you want that role to, to evolve. You, you should be looking at it and saying the purpose that was put onto it by the circle to begin with, is it still valid, you know? Because if it isn't or if the role needs to change, you as a role filler can go and change that, your own role through, through a governance process. Yeah, yeah. So I guess if you've, if you've got all these different roles, I mean, what does that um, make it ideal for part-time workers and people who don't want to work full-time to, to use this sort of system? Definitely, definitely, because, I mean, the roles don't necessarily mean, I mean, one of some of the roles that I fill in that organisation of 15 only need me once a month to do stuff, okay, mm. um, uh, or, or other times, you know, other ones are a little bit more fulfilling. The other thing that we find with the role um, stuff is you really start to see what work actually needs to get done in an organisation, and we do get role bloke in um, holacracy where, you know, people keep adding accountabilities, etc. And then every now and then a role filler will just take a step back and say, hang on, do I need to actually be doing all this? And they'll take it to governance and simplify. You go through that whole sort of process. But unlike a normal organisation with restructures being a massive task, this is just a small task of saying, well, right now I've got a bit of time. Is this still working for me? Um, the other thing that we find is that a role for part-time, somebody could look at a role and start to feel... Um, just basically a split in their role, like it's automatically naturally breaking into two different pockets of work or three, in which case they would then go to a governance meeting and, and create a new role and split their role up, which allows the organisation to then effectively determine how they're going to fill and resource those roles. Mm, very interesting. So... Um I guess you've said you've taken it out of the soul and into the role. So what happens to the role of a manager, which is typically sort of the power and authority and delegation roles? Um, I want to say they go completely. <laughs> um, look, manager roles, you look at a manager role and um, part of it becomes no longer required, okay, because of the way the organisation works. But parts of the management role is very much around um, sort of creative thinking, um, problem solving and that sort of stuff. And that side of it gets much more defined. Um, there are management-like roles in Holacracy, one called a lead link. Um, but it's uh, when we first bring in Holacracy, most people think of lead links as managers, and that's fine. That's a great way to start. But eventually they start to understand that lead links are not managers, they are basically, they're responsible for um, resourcing of circles. So this is where you get priority and, and, and resource management. Um, they're responsible for uh, coaching role fit. 
and, and allocating people to roles, um, but they don't get the ultimate say in terms of how a person gets their job um, done. Um, the, the lead link basically fills the gaps of work happening in the circle and then would define new roles for that or define new accountabilities um, and then appoint people. But once a person's appointed to the role, it's up to them to do... Um, they then have the authority to do whatever they need to do to make that role happen in, in ways that they determine. Um, the lead link doesn't have the ability like a normal manager to actually micromanage. Mm, okay. And what, what if somebody brings up attention in, in the circle? Am I getting this right? Yep. Yep. Um, and and it's it's a stupid thing to do. What happens it's then? It's a stupid thing to do. Yeah. Okay, so, what if you come yeah, up with no, something? look, that's fine. We, we do get that. Um, uh, we had a... Um, and the funny thing is, is the process sometimes works. Um, in, in tactical meetings, somebody brings up a, a thing and it's a stupid thing to do. It usually they'll just turn around and say, well, um, you know, is there a role that's responsible for taking on that stupid thing to do? Um, <laughs> no, then, okay, well, then you need to take it to governance, okay, or you can do some individual action. But there are some specific rules in the Constitution, and it's worth a read. The Constitution's not too hard to read. It used to be, but it's much better now in plain English. Um, that there are certain rules that they can't do. So they can't expend uh, the resources of the organisation. So they can't use resources of the organisation without um, specific authority. Um, and that's built into the Constitution. But one of the things, I just want to tell a little story. We had um, a person turn up to one of our meetings in, in, in an IT company that I run. So it's a, it's a managed services company. And um, basically, it was a governance meeting, so they're a lot more stricter than the tactical, and they're around changing how the organisation is structured. And his tension was, I want to kill all customers, okay? He just had a really bad phone call with the customer, and that's what he was feeling, and that was the tension. So you can think about it. That sounds like a stupid tension, doesn't it? You know, yeah, there's going to be a bit of tension about that tension. Yeah, <laughs> but that's what he wanted. He wanted to kill, kill the customer, okay? <laughs> and so we went, okay, well, let's see what happens. Let's process this thing. And what we came down to was the fact that he was dealing with a certain type of customer called an ad hoc customer, and that ad hoc customer did not understand the product and was trying to demand work above and beyond um, the work that was within that ad hoc um, product. And so what actually fleshed out from this was a specific accountability on the account manager to educate these, these types of customers properly around their product and how it works, okay? Um, mm, and mm, and so that was the, the outcome of it because the tension, even though it was as we thought of it, somebody thought it was stupid tension, it was important to that person and there was something underneath it. Mm, so I guess the, the process managed to bring out the, the emotional response and, and, and figure out what the roots of that were. Very much so. Um, That's now, pretty useful. Saying that, yeah, it is very, very useful. We've, we've found it on a number of occasions. But saying that, there's also... Um, through that governance process is a very, very important question. Um, so people can't just willy-nilly change the organisation because there's a question that we ask in one of the rounds, so this, but I won't, don't, don't really go too much into all of that, but um, in what we call the objection round in the process, um, we ask do you, um, we ask each, each uh, person in the circle, do you have an objection or no objection on to why this change, this proposal, would cause harm to the organisation and make it go back. Okay? So that's what we're always talking about. Does it cause harm or make the organisation go backwards? 
And we're talking to cause harm, causing harm to the organisation as it achieves its purpose, okay? And then through that, there's a couple of questions that we ask people. And it's not around judgment. It's around letting people understand their objections um, and whether they are valid in terms of that really is going to cause harm and make the organisation backwards or just personal. Just, mm-hmm. I just think it's a stupid idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, you know, they, and, and, and really, I mean, we can talk about it to a blurb, but it's really you need to see it and experience it to mm. see the power of it. So within the roles themselves, there's, there's a lot of autonomy, is that right? Yes, there is an awful lot of autonomy, yeah. Yeah, so you can basically do whatever you want within the role as long as it's not going to harm anyone else. Um, yeah, basically you can take on any action that is going to achieve the purpose of your role. Okay, mm. so it's not anything you want to do. It's because your role has been defined. <laughs> yeah. um, but but it is very much around, you know, if you have the role of accounts payable and um, it's uh, or accounts receivable and it's basically the purpose is to keep the the money coming into the organisation, um, you determine how you're going to do that. Um, if we find other roles start getting worried because certain things are happening, then you can start to put some accountabilities on it to create a little bit more sort of um, you know, defined things on how that, that sort of stuff happens. But it's still up to that particular role filler to do their job. Yeah, um, yeah. And then the lead link can uh, is, is responsible for making sure that that role is being filled properly. Um the tactical meetings. Uh, one of the biggest issues that I have when I bring holacracy into an organisation, um, you know, especially larger organisations where they all, you know, everybody says that large organisations there's so many reports and metrics and all of that sort of stuff that they have. You know, people spend hours. You're talking about that electrical thing. I'm sure you spent hours and hours writing reports or collecting metrics and, and oh, reporting and all that sort luckily of Luckily, I was on the lowest rung of the ladder, so I didn't have much of that to do, but the guys <laughs> above me certainly did. But but what I actually do find is when I come into organisations, they are, don't really have the metrics. and People are creating these things, but they don't really measure the right thing. Um, and one of the quickest ways to implement holacracy is to make sure that you are getting, knowing what your checklist and metrics are. Um and, and that's important because in the tactical meeting, the first half of the tactical meeting is all around uncovering the truth, uncovering the data of what's happening in that particular team circle. Um, and and where's key for that is what are the metrics and the metrics down to the roles. Um, and, um, and that is how you then get to see whether the roles are fulfilling their responsibilities properly. Hmm, okay. Uh, we've only got probably about five minutes left, uh, unfortunately. Um, and, yeah, so h- how does that relatively strict structure and, and stuff, how does that mesh with the with the relatively extreme autonomy within the role? I mean, it seems like a contradiction. It, it is, and it's one of the, para- um, you know, the, the, the contradictions in holocracy is, if you think about it, if you want to have freedom, you have to have structure, Okay. Um, it's through a, a structure that uh, that you can actually have freedom to make the choices that you need to do. Um, and that's um, a lot of the, the things that we find um, in holacracy is that um, the, the you have this sort of, you know, either side of it and, and, it's, and, it, and it actually works, okay? You need to have one side of the coin um, to, to have the other. Um, and we've seen that in a lot of organisations where we went into an organisation where it was all free and easy and it was a whole bunch of very, very high intellectually processing people. 
um, who understood about personal freedom, etc., um, and didn't want rules, but then the organisation was completely failing. Um, you, know, yeah. you need structure to have freedom. Yeah, that's an interesting take on it, isn't it? But I can see the point there, yeah. And how does it work when it comes to things like um, sacking people or, or determining how, how much people get paid? Yeah, um, very, very um, interesting questions, and there's a whole piece on that. Um, we we see holacracy as the underlying, and I'm sorry, I'm going to use IT speak here, <laughs> the underlying operating system of the business. So it's like, you know, the... It's, it's throwing out DOS and putting in um, the latest Mac OS. Um, and then what we find is the existing applications in an organisation, like compensation, uh, like um, performance management, etc., um, they then start to grind against because they were developed in such an old version of the operating system of the organisation. And then through tension processing, through projects and stuff, we change them. And each organisation in Holacracy uh, deals with compensation slightly differently. Um, but deals in a way that works within their purpose and within their organisation. Um, some of them use a much more flexible uh, compensation system. Um, in the IT company that I've, I've, I own, we use a much more market-driven one, but we've defined the process now and there's absolutely clarity around it um, and there are roles responsible for it and if people don't like it, they have a place to bring up attention and we can and, and look at um, the way that people are compensated. Um Sacking, etc. Um, there's a, again, it's another app, but part of it is that the lead links would remove someone from a role. If someone in the organisation no longer has any roles, then you would need to look at whether that person should be employed by the organisation. Hmm. Okay. And uh, I've detected a few sort of natural patterns. I mean, is a lot of this based on on things that you might find in nature? Very much so. Holacracy really, really does. Um, try and reflect, you know, the whole idea of an organism. We think of the organisation as its own organism, as its own identity, and that's one of the core fundamental beliefs of Holacracy is that we need to allow organisations to grow up. What happens at the beginning is that when you, um, as a founder, you start an organisation, it's like a, a, a child um, and a mother and a child. At the very beginning, they need to do everything for the organisation. They need to set the boundaries. They need to set the rules, etc. But as a, a child grows up into teenagehood, you give some freedom. You allow them to start to, you know, you don't want them to be completely meshed with the mum anymore. They need to have their own freedom. And as they grow into adulthood, you can imagine if they're still that um, relationship like it was in, uh, with baby and, and mother, um, they're not going to be a fully um, member of society. We think of Holacracy doing the same thing for organisations, allowing an organisation to grow up and to become more than just what the original founder or the original people who, who built it up and allow it to grow and to discover its purpose and uncover its purpose and achieve its purpose in, in, the, uh, in the world. Yeah, so uh, like any new system, it's going to have its failures. What, what are your failures so far? And more importantly, how do you deal with, with failures of the system? Okay, so, I mean, built into the system is um, some things around breakdowns, what we call process breakdowns, etc. But look, Holacracy is not for every organisation. Um, there's some great people that I've been talking to and, you know, some people say you need a certain level of culture for the Holacracy to work. Um, it's, it's a chicken and egg type thing. Um, sometimes we find Holacracy will improve culture um, of, a, of a bad culture. Sometimes um, a good culture organisation will reject Holacracy. 
But when it comes down to it, the ultimate thing about holacracy is it depends on who currently holds the power in the organisation and whether they're going to divest their power into the constitution. And if they do that and stick by it, then holacracy will work for an organisation. If you have someone or the power brokers who can't live by that, then holacracy is not going to work and it will end up becoming just a a mismatch of of what they've already got. Um, I guess that would be my main thing about it. Um, It's success and failure is really defined on the the, the power brokers divesting their, their, their power into the constitution and living by it. No worries. So, Stephen Jenner, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do it? And if there's anything else you want to add, uh, tack it on the end now. Yep. Um, so, fantastic. Thank you very, very much. Um, my uh, company is called TELUS Partners, T-E-L-U-S Partners. And uh, we have our website, teluspartners.com. Um, you can email me uh, at, at, through the website. Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-A-N, Jenner, J-E-N-N-E-R. Um, and I am more than happy. I love chatting about this. I love talking about this. love to come into people's organisations and give them a little bit of a taster, what we call a taster, so you actually can see it working. Um, and that's probably the best way um, to get in touch with us. All right. Well, thank you very much, Stefan Jenner, from, uh, from the TELUS Institute and talking about holacracy. Thank you very much for the opportunity. No worries. Good on you.